Thank you, Steve. Um, we are, we're thrilled to be here. We have been involved with Generous Giving for a number of years now. We've done a number of jogs. And, uh, but this is the first time we've been able to attend the celebration of generosity. Not through lack of desire. We've always tried to make it work, but there's always been a significant conflict. But we're happy to be here this time. We love um, greeting old friends when we come in and meeting new friends. Um, we've heard some great stories, and we're going to hear a lot more great stories. Um, we are, as Steve said, we've, uh, we, we, well, actually, we grew up in Southern California. We grew up down here, um, and so we love this weather. So we moved to Seattle a little over 20 years ago, not for the weather. But, but last summer, last year, we had an incredible summer. The weather was just beautiful. And it was in July, and I was, we were down hanging out at our uh, beach cabin down in the South Puget Sound, and uh, I was talking to a friend on the phone. And I caught myself saying these words out loud. I said, buddy, you know what really, I'm really bummed about is that because of the low tides this week, I can't launch my jet skis until the late afternoon. Now, are you feeling sorry for me? I mean, I think you'd, you'd agree this is an extreme example of a first world problem. And it was after this that April and I started calling out and sharing and, and laughing about um, these first world problems that we would we would often come up in our conversation. But I think it was our 13-year-old uh, son. He, put some, he shed some real wisdom on the nature of first-world problems. So we're driving to school one day, just a few months ago, and we're having one of our not um, untypical conversations, actually arguments, about smartphones. And I'd said, you know, Jack, we're going we're gonna to buy you a phone, but we're not going to buy you a smartphone. Of course, we argued about this almost every day. And so on this particular day, we're, we're driving along, and, and I, I was kind of getting frustrated. And I said to him, dude, now in a 13-year-old, it's entirely appropriate to begin with dude. Okay, let's be clear. So, so I said to him, um, dude, we're going to buy you a phone. We're just not going to get you a smartphone. Um, do you know how many 13-year-old um, uh, kids in this, in this country, in this world, would love to have a phone? And he said, in wisdom beyond his years, he said, but dad, you don't understand. In the culture that I live in, all my friends have smartphones. Well, that really hit us. Um, you know, it's true that we live in a culture of affluence. And, the, and that certainly does shape our expectations, our expectations of what we deserve or what we should receive. But um, the reality is we're born at a specific time, in a specific culture, and for a specific purpose. And our culture would like nothing better than to tell us what to expect or what a good life is. Well, a few years ago, uh, God began shaping our journey. April and I started uh, thinking about what is a good life that we want to live in the Lord and leave as legacy for our kids. And he put us on a path towards a uh, lifestyle of generosity. And we're going to share a little bit about what that looks like in our life. But first, we're going to share a little bit of our story. All right. So I'll paint a little timeline for you. Uh, we both grew up in loving homes. They were not overtly Christian. We were taught that security was based on financial independence. And in fact, in my home, we were taught that we should always look out for number one. And as you know, that's not one of the Ten Commandments. So, <laughs> we both attended college. We both had successful launches into well-paying careers as software engineers. Um, we both uh, were solid Christians by the time we graduated from college. And sadly, we both experienced failed marriages um, that ended in significant debt. 
So by 1994, we got married, and uh, we were bringing this significant debt into the marriage with us. We were flat broke, and we couldn't even afford a down payment on a house. But we really wanted to be generous toward God, so we wanted to figure that out. Well, there were two big epiphanies that we had in our first year of marriage. The first came as I happened to be reading Malachi 3. And if you're familiar with that, in verse 8, God's talking to the Israelites, and he's saying, you're robbing from me. You're not bringing in your tithes and offerings. And he said, if you would just do that, there would be so much food in the storehouse that there'd be plenty for everyone. And then he goes on to say, test me in this and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven, and you'll have so much blessing you won't be able to contain it. Well, we liked the sound of that, uh, except that it was Old Testament, and yet we realized that God was not asking us to give in that verse. It was a command. This was about obedience. And so we decided to take the challenge, and even though we were in serious debt, we started taking 10% right off the top and giving that to the Lord. The second thing that happened in that first year of marriage was Craig read uh, the biography of R.G. Letourneau. Now, he's the gentleman who invented the huge earth-moving equipment in the early 20th century. And he was an incredible example of generosity. What he did is he increased his giving every year throughout his life. And when he died in his late 90s, he was giving roughly 98% of his wealth away, and he was still a multimillionaire. Well, we had never heard of anything like this. We'd never seen anyone do it. And we thought, wow, what an idea to increase our giving each year. And again, we didn't know exactly how we were going to do that, but we decided to get a little creative, and we started kind of putting that into our giving goals. So at this point, um, our blessings began to accumulate faster than we ever imagined. We had a fantastic marriage going on. We had great friends. We were attending a church we loved, lots of opportunities to serve together. And in fact, even our finances had, begin, had begun to thrive. And we had money in the bank. Oh, we had paid off all the debt. Uh, we finally bought a house. And things were looking pretty good. Um, but at this point, really, we were just simply being obedient in our financial stewardship. Um, and we felt that God truly had opened the floodgates of heaven, and we were receiving blessings. So uh, fast forward a little bit to 1998, and April. by this time, April and I had uh, moved up to Seattle. We were both working for Microsoft, and uh, we, were, we were really hooked on this joy of giving obediently, but we, we knew we really wanted to do more. Well, our investment portfolio at that time was entirely made up of Microsoft stock, so financially that didn't make sense. And so we knew we wanted to um, uh, divest some of that money. We wanted to uh, diversify. diversify. And, but that, by diversifying and cashing some of that, those shares, it also allowed us to go from this notion of giving obediently to giving generously. And we loved that. We were pretty excited about the possibilities and the responsibility um, to do that. At the same time, we were feeling a nudge, another nudge from God. And we, we loved this financial ability to give, but we really wanted to give more of our life. We really wanted to do more um, and work for him in a more tangible um, life way. So we, we found ourselves envying medical professionals and others who had skills that they could take into the missionary field. And, but we're just, we're just software geeks. We didn't know what, how God could use any of the skills that we had, but we knew we wanted to do something. Well, God showed us what that could be. And it was early 1999 at a conference, frankly, much like this. And God spoke to both of us tangibly on this particular day. What was interesting, though, was 
um, we, he spoke to us individually, and it wasn't until the end of the day we got together and we started comparing notes, and we realized God is giving us a message. We know he has something planned for us. And we both heard that he was, we didn't know what it was. He wasn't unveiling it all at once, but we knew that it was time for a new phase of life. And this was going to, uh, this life was going to involve leaving our comfortable jobs at Microsoft and doing something in, for him in new and significant ways. So as we started giving away some bigger financial gifts, we started getting invited to all these major donor conferences. It's kind of funny how that happens. Um, and so we were at one such conference with Campus Crusade for Christ. And um, we were first introduced to this acronym called LIFE. Maybe some of you have heard of it. It stands for Labor, Influence, Finances, and Expertise. This was a huge changer, game changer for us, we finally felt like we had a way to look at all that God had given us and um, really how to evaluate whether we were putting all of the resources we had on the table, um, as we've been discussing recently, right? Um, and so uh, it was the very night that we heard about this acronym that the leadership from Campus Crusade approached us with this major internet initiative that they were thinking about doing. And so we got really excited because we were thinking they clearly need some internet expertise. And this was right in my wheelhouse. This is what I had been doing for Microsoft. So we felt like, like God was finally connecting the dots for us. This was the first time we realized that we could not only give money, but we had some labor and some influence and some expertise that we could throw into the mix as well. Um, what else was I going to say about that? You need to finish that <laughs> sentence for me. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, right. So the next thing I did, right, the next thing I did. <laughs> this was important. <laughs> this was a big shift in the story because it was after we heard about what Campus Crusade was doing. Um, about six months later, I decided to leave Microsoft. And this was a big deal for us because I actually loved my job at Microsoft. And intended to just kind of continue climbing the corporate ladder there. Um, but we really felt such a strong impression from the Lord um, to step out. Um, and so I started consulting and volunteering my time um, with Camps Crusade and with several other nonprofits um, in internet strategy. So we had stepped out of our comfort zone and we were really excited about the path that the Lord had put us on. Um, once again, we were experiencing the joy of generosity, and it was just because we were being obedient. So, uh, again, forward a couple of years to 2003, and I had uh, just left Microsoft thinking that um, God had called me out to do this uh, work in the Christian nonprofit area. But a friend of mine um, invited me into a new business opportunity. He asked me to start a company with him. Now, you have to understand, I was not seeking that, and in fact, when he asked me, I said no. Um, I said, no, you don't understand. I'm working right now for God as a kingdom volunteer, and I have, I have no plans to uh, start a company. But April and I prayed about it for several months, and um, again, God had a different plan for us. So on April 14th, 2004, I woke up one mo that morning, and I felt like God was actually saying, I really want you to do this. I want you to start this company. And I'm thinking, okay, but Why? In my quiet time then, a little bit later, I won't go into the whole story right now, I was reading Romans chapter 12 and I was doing a study in that, but at, at the end of that quiet time I realized God is calling me to do this. But he's giving me a really important caveat, and that is I want you to start this company, and if the company's successful, I want you to give away half of anything you make in this company. 
Well, here's the really cool thing, is at, at that exact moment, I mean, seriously, I'm sitting in my easy chair, the phone's sitting next to me, at that exact moment that this whole picture came together, the phone rang, and I hadn't expected this, but my business partner called up and said, I need your answer today, because we're going to go down and file um, uh, articles of incorporation. And I said, well, I'm in. And here's the caveat, and of course, he's, he's fine with that, he's a Christian as well, so he's happy with that. Um, but I was thrilled. And... Um, I and the, the key here is I'd, given, I'd agreed to give away half, but at this point, it was half of nothing. So that was easy. Okay. So that, that business opportunity became Inrix. And so we started Inrix in uh, 2004. And uh, um, it was much more successful than I ever, when even one of us ever imagined. So fast forward again a couple of years. I had originally planned on staying for two or three years. It was actually seven. God and I wrestled for about seven years before I finally felt like, okay, he's releasing me back to, um, to work in ministry. But his timing was perfect, and my, my timing never is. Um, as I, after I announced I was leaving, so I talked to the company. I told the board I was leaving um, right about that time, and we're worrying, we're wondering, like, what are we going to do for income? Because I'm leaving the company. Um, but a venture capital firm um, approached us and wanted, we were, they were doing another uh, investment in my company, and they said, well, since you're leaving, we'll buy some of your shares. Well, that financing, the ability to, for them to buy some of my shares, financed our ability to retire from the corporate world, but remember, I'd also agreed to give away half. So I, giving away half of anything I made at Enrix, and so that, um, when they cashed out that opportunity, there was no decision to be made about how much to give. I gave away half. And that has financed our ability for um, the last few years to be able to give away more money than we ever imagined. So there's great freedom in having made that decision. That's the key. There's great freedom in having made that decision before we had any money to give, before we had that money to give. And we had incredible joy at being able to do it. I like to refer to 2 Corinthians 9, which says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And we were really very cheerful. And I like to point out again, during that time, how thankful I was that Craig was listening to God. He was in the habit of listening. Um, because I think if he hadn't been listening for God to tell him to start in Rick's, if he hadn't been listening to God telling him to give away half, we would have missed out on a really exciting path that God has had us on, and we probably wouldn't be here today talking to you. Um, so, sorry, honey, we're having problems. Like, I'm scrolling, he's scrolling, and when I go back to look where I was, it's gone. So, sorry about that. All right. Um, the other thing that I want to point out... <laughs> Sorry, one of those marital moments, right? Um, we, <laughs> as we have seen God deliver on each of these promises, it has really put us in this posture of expectation. And that's what we are loving about this journey. Um, I also need to give a shout out to the National Christian Foundation because at this point, as we were uh, converting our privately held stock in Enrix, 
into what we now call our giving nest egg. This was a, an incredibly complex transaction. Uh, and yet from our perspective, it looked really simple because NCF did such a great job of simplifying it for us. And so we were so grateful for them. And in fact, they have become a tremendous partner for us in this whole journey because they were the ones that actually introduced us first to the journey of generosity. And it was at our first journey of generosity where um, our conversations started to shift. We, we really got a hold of the truth that God owns it all and we are just managers. And then even more importantly, we started thinking about not how much should we give, but how much should we keep. Um, and that's been significant for us. So since I left Inrix about five years ago, um, we've been able to put this new, our new lifestyle, labor, influence, finances, and expertise into practice. And um, what we found is this is, for us, this is the best way to an abundant life, or to, certainly for us it works, and it's just the, full of joy. So we're going to quickly walk through those four aspects and how that works in our life. Frankly, the easiest, um, or I'm sorry, the most, um, suck, sorry, the, um, the most scarce resource we give away is labor. And that's because of, once you, once we've, once we've put it out there that we're willing to, um, to volunteer for different activities, there's no... A shortage of opportunities to, to, to volunteer in. But what we found is we also, the more, whenever you say yes to one thing, you almost always have to say no to something else. So we've been very careful about that. Now sometimes labor is nothing, is, is easy, for example, I don't say nothing, but it's easy like um, changing diapers in the nursery at church, which we had to do with when we had uh, uh, infant twins in church, and that was not my favorite way to volunteer. Um, but more often than not, we, uh, it's involved in experience. And April and I do have a terrific marriage, in spite of the, the uh, fight with I've the iPad here. Um, we have a terrific marriage. And so we feel like one of the areas that we want to give back and one of the areas we'd love to serve is with our marriage experience. And so we've been teaching pre-marriage classes for 13 or 14 years. We've been uh, involved in marriage ministry at the church and so on. But often, uh, more often than that, even, there's uh, in, involved with um, expertise. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Yeah, so the I for influence, and again, we're just trying to give a real practical look at how we've used this life acronym as a tool to get everything out there on the table for the Lord. So influence to us um, is this really powerful resource that I think many Christians underutilize. We call it kind of the hidden superpower, um, and we think about it in two different ways. So first, capital equals influence. So where we give larger sums of money to organizations, we find that we have a lot more influence, um, often to help set their strategic direction. Um, so for us, very practically, we've um, used our influence by getting involved on a lot of boards or volunteering for leadership roles where we can have um, an impact on their strategic direction. Um, but there's another kind of influence, and, and this one we'd say is um, driven by social capital. Okay, and for us, this is um, probably the most sacrificial resource that we give. We realized recently we were having this conversation in a journey of generosity about what do we give that feels most sacrificial? And for us, I think it's inf uh, this kind of social capital influence. And that's because it's hard to get, right? You have to earn that kind of influence. And if you abuse it, you lose it. 
Um, and so one of the things, and like many of you in this room, we're involved in building the generosity movement. And often that starts by using that influence to invite people to a celebration like this or to a journey of generosity. Um, so we've been thrilled to be able to use it that way, but we also recognize the cost and try to um, use it very carefully. Um, We've also been combining our influence with innovation. So just riffing a little bit more on this generosity movement, um, in the Seattle area, we're pretty excited about the things that are happening um, because of what Generous Giving is doing and what NCF is doing up there. So with our sort of innovative spirit, with the blessing of Generous Giving, with um, the help of the leadership team up in Seattle, we've come up with two new kinds of generosity events. So one is called a LOG, which stands for Lifestyles of Generosity. So if you've attended a jog, you get invited to a log. And that we meet about once a quarter. And so any, anyone who's participating in a jog comes and we get to continue the conversation and how we're um, using generosity in our lives. So that's been fun. Another one that we're just rolling out is something we called a micro jog. Um, and this is a two-hour gathering that we're doing, um, hoping to introduce people to the conversation of generosity. Um, and then, you know, you kind of obviously get hooked, and then you're in. So uh, we're, we're going to see how that one goes. We've been talking a lot about finances. Um, and for us, finances, it turns out, is really the easiest thing to give away because we've already set aside a giving fund and we have a giving plan. Um, but as money comes in, as we do get income, we still wrestle, like I'm sure all of you do as well, which is uh, on the question of how much should we keep versus how much should we give away. In order to better direct our giving, we've created a, a, giving of a, a, a given, giving vision document. We're software geeks, so we have to create a documentation for everything. Um, <laughs> So we have this giving vision document that does help us, under, help us decide where to put our money and what, um, how to focus that. But we've also been experimenting lately with what we call Holy Spirit giving, which is unplanned, um, oftentimes not tax deductible, but we have seen some amazing opportunities to give and, and the results from those. And then um, the other thing we've noticed is that generosity uh, has become culturally um, fa uh, fashionable. At least up, certainly up in the Seattle area, there's a lot of multimillion, a lot of billionaires up there who are talking about giving away money. There's the Gates Foundation. Most of the companies, especially the tech companies, have matching funds. But one of the things that we um, are exploring is how Christian generosity differs from um, secular or from um, cultural generosity. We, we love that cultural generosity. Don't get me wrong. That's beautiful. But we want to know as Christians, how can we be doing that differently? For us, that often means... Um, finding ways to give both to meet people's needs, not only uh, physically, but also spiritually. All right, and expertise. We get most energized when we get to use our business experience with our nonprofit experience, um, and we get to lean into organizations that way. So this is how we first started when we got involved with Campus Crusade. It was getting to use that expertise. So more recently, we've been combining our passion for innovation and Craig's background in uh, venture capital to co-chair the World Vision Innovation Fund. And this has been a great outlet for us where we get to take this notion of risk capital and apply it to pilot new ideas into some of the most vulnerable places and for the most vulnerable people in our world. And we get to think about scalable impact, and we're just having a blast doing that. 
Um, we're also working with um, Christian entrepreneurs through an organization named Praxis that I know many of you have heard of. Um, and in this case, they're all about the intersection of faith, culture, and enterprise. And so again, we're getting to take our backgrounds and our expertise and work with these Christian entrepreneurs to help them think about how they create a virtuous culture, how they build generosity into the DNA of their organizations. So the fact, <clears throat> the fact is, we live in a first world culture and we wrestle, we all wrestle with first world challenges. Um, but we love how God has been transforming us from our old lives of looking out for number one to trying to understand the opportunities and responsibilities he's giving us and how we can spend ourselves towards those. The life he's given us is filled with adventure and we are, we are having a blast. We are loving it. Um, but also incredible joy, more joy than we ever imagined. So we're going to leave you with a verse. This comes from uh, 1 Timothy, and I'm going to read the uh, Chapman Revised Version. It says, Instruct Craig and April not to fix our hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct Craig and April to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, st storing up for ourselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that we may take hold of, of that which is life indeed. Thank you. Thank you.